Yes, indeed. And the headlines, woo, it's quite a day today. A lot of stories for you here. Uh, Just to quickly lay it out, we're going to have to keep covering this probably over the next day or so. Uh, Chaos in Washington, D.C., capital of the United States of America today. uh, The hundreds of Trump supporters, maybe even thousands, uh, streamed out of a rally defending President Trump, uh, supporting his fraudulent claims that the election was stolen from him, chanting fight for Trump. They marched down one of America's largest streets. They have rushed the Capitol. They've stormed the Capitol. They're inside of the Capitol. There are all sorts of reports from tear gas in the Capitol dome. There's still photos that show potentially some guns were drawn in different situations. Certainly, there's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of fist fighting. A lot of very aggressive chanting. Uh, the the, the MAGA types are on all sides of this one, it seems. Uh, it's very, very chaotic there. But the bottom line is that uh, everything has stopped as it concerns the electoral vote counting. As of the time I'm telling you this right now, uh, so much is happening so quickly. By the time you hear this, uh, you know, if it was even in the next two seconds, or something else could be different. Uh, but reality uh, here that they have seized pro-Trump supporters, have stormed some parts of the capital of the United States. They seem to have gotten deep inside of the Capitol complex. There has been a stopping of the vote counting of electoral votes. There are at least some reports that the vice president was evacuated and other senators, uh, major newspapers reporting all sorts of wild things, including senator, sitting senators yelling, lock the door, lock the door, to attempt to get away from these individuals who have stormed the Capitol. Some people uh, with Confederate flags, some with Trump flags. I saw some guy dressed in some sort of gear like he was from the 1979 film The Warriors. I believe I saw a guy with a baseball bat outside the Senate chamber. That's what it looked like was in his hands. I couldn't tell for sure. Uh, and again, this is thousands of people outside, hundreds of people inside. It's not exactly clear how they even got in there. The security is very very strong. Uh, I myself, I've been arrested uh, at the Capitol, obviously for something good, not something bad. I can tell you the Capitol Police have a lot at their disposal, plus D.C. police, plus other federal police agencies. Unclear to me how this even happened. So there's going to have to be some look at whether or not the police uh, have facilitated this to some degree. I I don't really know. I'm not making any accusations, but there are a lot of questions in the air, uh, a lot of questions in the air. But right now, chaos, uh, today at least, chaos on Capitol Hill. We'll be bringing you more on this as we get into uh, the the rest of the week, I guess. This is going to be a big story. Tomorrow evening, we're going to be live uh, at 8 p.m. We weren't planning necessarily to talk about this. We didn't know it was going to happen, but we'll be touching this. We may come to you earlier in the day. So please follow us across at BT Newsroom on all your social media platforms from the time you hear this into tomorrow. We'll be doing the best we can. Uh, if there's anything of note that uh, that we need to bring you, uh, 
wow, I, I'm in myself a little speechless. We're watching this all here. This is wild. So uh, that's where that stays. We got some other stuff for you here. Very important stories on the punch out. Uh, Julian Assange, the bail situation with him. We're going to be talking about eviction moratoriums because the eviction moratoriums don't seem to be stopping all the evictions. And that's extremely notable. Uh, well, hopefully not for any of you, but potentially for some of you and for those who you know. But before we get to either of those stories, we want to turn to the state of Georgia, where Democrats seem to have been triumphant in the runoff elections for two Senate seats there in the state of Georgia. A child who grew up in the Caton Homes housing projects of Savannah, Georgia. Number 11 out of 12 children a proud graduate of Morehouse College and the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, the spiritual home of Martin Luther King Jr. and Congressman John Lewis. A son of my late father, who was a pastor, a veteran, and a small businessman. And my mother, who as a teenager growing up in Waycross, Georgia, used to pick somebody else's cotton. But the other day, because this is America. The 82-year-old hands that used to pick somebody else's cotton went to the polls and picked her youngest son to be a United States senator. And that was the sound or the words of the U.S. Senator-elect, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, describing his roots and his victory speech yesterday evening uh, after defeating the sitting current Georgia Senator Kelly Leffler in a runoff election. The runoff also featured current Senator David Perdue losing, or at least it seems that way as of right now, to Democrat John Ossoff in his second shot at the seat. Although that one, there's a little bit more back and forth than Warnock and Leffler. Nevertheless, looks like the Democrats have taken it. Warnock would be the first black senator from the former slave state of Georgia, which, by the way, when Georgia was created, there weren't supposed to be any black people there at all. Uh, it was supposed to be a buffer state between South Carolina Carolina and Florida, where there were escaped slaves, maroon colonies who would launch raids on South Carolina and free other slaves. But be that as it may, Warnock will be the first uh, black person to be a senator from the state of Georgia. And, you know, I have to say, this is almost a little poetic the way this played out. He's also the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is, of course, where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. presided. And if the Ossoff result holds, the Democrats will now command the majority in the United States Senate, creating unified Democratic government as they also control the White House, or will in a few days, and the House of Representatives. The runoff saw a fairly incredible increase in votes from the last go-round for Senate races in Georgia. Warnock, for instance, increased the Democratic Senate vote from 2016 by 632,000 votes. Given that Republicans got almost the exact same number of votes that they did in 2016 uh, in that Senate race, Johnny Isaacson. Uh, this is a remarkable increase in turnout uh, for Democrats here. Warnock actually gained 353,000 more votes than Hillary Clinton when she lost Georgia in 2016. Usually presidential candidates never do better than Senate candidates. Even more than that, Warnock, uh, and this is without all the votes counted. This is actually true about Ossoff as well. Again, not all the votes counted. More votes than Donald Trump in 2016 when he won the state. In fact, the Democratic pair won more votes than any Republican presidential candidate in Georgia from the year 2000 on. 
quite a statement there by those who turned out to vote yesterday. Uh, it's obviously been much talked about in the media here, but given the Republican standing pat and the big Democratic increase, a significant chunk of this increase in Democratic votes has to be attributed to the new Georgia project, which is headed up by Stacey Abrams, uh, as people famously know, but chaired by Reverend Raphael Warnock himself. Over the past decade, they've registered hundreds of thousands of mainly black voters, a lot in rural areas. There's other groups like Black Voters Matter, and many others that have done yeoman's work on the ground over multiple electoral cycles uh, on the Democratic side of things to try to make something like this happen here. And it's worth noting that at the same time, Georgia's Secretary of State has been aggressively attempting to purge hundreds of thousands of voters over the past several years as well. Yet those communities that were most targeted by those efforts have been central in the turnout for the Democratic win. So as I stated, about the presidential race, it's clear that Warnock and Ossoff, like Biden, benefited from a suburban surge in the Atlanta area, which turned counties like Gwinnett from red to blue. But you'd have to be blind, and of course, suburban surge is to some degree read white people. A little more complicated in Atlanta. Some of the suburbs have a lot of black people. But nevertheless, the, something similar things that you saw with white suburban voters shifting to Democrats, you saw there. But be that as it may, you'd really have to be just totally blind not to see that clearly the main element here is a powerful, long-germinating political mobilization based in the black community that made the difference last fall and made the difference last night. So what can we take away here? Well, first, Warnock didn't exactly run to the left, uh, for instance, very pro-Israel, uh, you know, ran away from defund the police. But be that as it may, he was certainly to the left of, of Ossoff and the way Ossoff was presenting himself. And he has a long history as a pastor, not in Atlanta, uh, not just in Atlanta, also in New York City, that is certainly more progressive than just about all the other Senate Democrats, other than maybe Bernie Sanders and a few others. So the fact that he did better than Ossoff, a very traditional white centrist type of candidate, puts paid to the idea that some Somehow you can only win by running away from progress and real change and moving towards the center and incremental or no change at all. The Biden model of nothing will fundamentally change. Second, Biden, the Democrats have no excuses now. They've got all the legislative and executive levers. There's no reason they can't start proposing policies that put people before profit. Other than that, they prefer profit before people. Any solutions that they propose that don't really meet the scale of the problems people are facing right now? Well, that's their choice. They can't blame Mitch McConnell. So more than anything else, this Georgia victory should set the stage for major battles over evictions, wages, union rights, women's rights, fighting racism, climate change, and on and on and on the important things that we need to make sure that this planet can live sustainably and equitably. Now, I would say, given the past, it's prudent not to expect too much from the Democrats, but they said they were going to do it. So now is the time to fight on these crucial issues. Either they will or they won't. But at the end of the day, it'll be clear who stands where. Well, in the recently passed stimulus bill, a federal, the or the federal eviction moratorium, I should say, was extended until the end of January, and $25 billion was allocated for rent relief measures. Congress was clearly concerned about the social and political impact of tens of millions of people facing eviction at the start of the year. And while not solving the problem, they at least acted to kick the full impact down the road a little bit there. Renters in the United States may owe as much as $34 billion in back rent already, which will only get worse. So clearly the $25 billion was not enough. But more to the point here, even the eviction moratorium itself is not ironclad. In fact, many people, both at the end of last year and now, are still being evicted. Just to give you an example, uh, there's the eviction, the eviction lab, which studies these things, looked at the week before December 12th, where this same moratorium was in place. 803 eviction notices were filed 
in the city of Houston, despite there being a federal moratorium. Same week, 543 in Phoenix, 303 in Tampa, Florida. And I could go on and list many more here, but the reasoning behind this is pretty straightforward. While there are all, all these various moratoria, federal and state level, it's a patchwork with many loopholes. For instance, at the federal level, one of the requirements is that you, quote, use your best efforts to obtain government assistance for rent or housing costs. What does that even mean? What are your best efforts? You also have to be, quote unquote, trying to make partial rent payments every month. So is $1 trying? Is it 30% of your rent? What? I mean, these are very ambiguous statements here. And at the state level, you're in pretty much the exact same situation. And in both cases, uh, it's not automatic. You have to prove it. So in other words, it's fairly easy to fall through the cracks somehow, some way and still be kicked out of your home. So, of course, something is better than nothing with a crucial issue like keeping people in their homes, but the issue of evictions during the pandemic is not just on hold for a month. The worst of it maybe is, is delayed a little bit, but the reality is, is it's not only it's delayed, but it ain't canceled. So the time to fight to cancel rents, which is clearly the only just solution, is in February 1st. It's right now. <laughs> Julian Assange, former publisher of WikiLeaks, was denied bail in his extradition case in the United Kingdom this morning. On Monday, a UK court ruled that Assange could not be extradited due to the brutal nature of U.S. prisons and his significant risk for committing suicide in the solitary confinement he is certain to be subjected to. Assange is wanted in the United States for the crime of journalism, where they have concocted a range of charges from so-called computer crimes and alleged espionage to criminalize him for publishing classified documents, which of course is journalistic practice protected by the First Amendment, but clearly the government is using his case to set a precedent to scare journalists from reporting on the secrets and the lies of empire, something WikiLeaks has done to great effect, by the way. The U.S. has vowed to repeal the case, and given Assange's health challenges, many were hoping he would be released today pending appeal, which, again, did not happen. Breakthrough News, however, was able to speak with Kevin Gosela from Shadowproof.com, who's been covering this case for some time now about what happened in court today. Take a listen. Had Julian Assange been allowed to leave Belmarsh prison and, and go live on house arrest with his fiance and his two children. We likely would have heard from Julian Assange for the first time in almost two years, if not longer, because he would have likely made some kind of statement um, thanking his supporters at the very least. Maybe you wouldn't engage on specifics related to the case because there's still an ongoing appeal, but we would have at least heard Julian Assange's voice. And it seems like that's exactly what the U.S. government did not want. Probably one of the main reasons why they wanted the judge to uphold this idea that he would flee the country if he was granted bail. And that's going to do it for us here today on The Punch Out. Obviously, a lot going on in the country right now here on Breakthrough News. We're going to do our best to bring you all the news that is in the headlines and the analysis behind it and the other things you're not seeing that you should be seeing. So keep following us at, at BT Newsroom across all your social media platforms. <laughs> 